all other things are in my opinion the same if you're traveling alone as a woman or a man be careful where you where you camp when you you're wild camping because you are alone i was like i can't believe it he just leaves me alone in, in pizza <laughs> Why? And after that week, I like tasted that wonderful taste of traveling alone. That's, ah, oh, it's amazing. And then there was this lady who opened the door and she, she just yelled at us. She yelled and we jumped. And, <laughs> and the whole thing, I mean, they explained everything, but in Czech. But the, the, the most important thing is that I, I really recommend it. I, I think that traveling alone is one of the biggest gifts you can give yourself. Welcome to the Winging It Travel podcast with me, James Hammond, where every Monday I'll be joined by guests to talk about their travel stories, travel tips, backpacking advice, and so much more. Right now, I'm taking the podcast on the road traveling with me. So tune in every week for short-form episodes detailing all my travels alongside my Monday guest episode. Are you a backpacker, traveller, gap year student or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you. This is a casual, informative podcast designed for you to inspire you to travel. There'll be stories to tell, tips to share and experiences to inspire. Welcome to the show. Let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode where I'm joined by Romana Hassan El, who is a long-term traveller, author, writing coach and happiness trainer. Today we're going to talk about her travels in her old Volkswagen campervan, which she does for about three to four months a year. And I want to hear about her nine books that she's released and there's an upcoming 10th book if it's not been released already. And I need to hear how important laughter is in our lives and of course some tips for any budding writers out there. So Romana, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be on your show. And yeah, I'm fine. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. So where are you based right now? Uh, right now I'm in Tyrolia, uh, Austria. Um, this is my second home here in the middle of the Alps. Okay. So it's pretty snowy outside, high <laughs> mountains and fresh air cold. <laughs> <laughs> And where are you from originally in Austria? From Salzburg. That's not too far away from the from the place where I'm now. But as you know, that Austria is very tiny. It's like yes, across half of the country today. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, I'm planning to go to Austria. We are next year, mm. so we will be checking out Austria hopefully quite extensively. So, what tips could you give me for Austria? Do you think? Oh, gosh, so many. Uh, <laughs> depends on how much time you have. But for <laughs> Austria, it's like, um, I, I love mountains. So if yeah. you love mountains, then you have to, to, to take a stop in, in Tyrolia, Innsbruck. Because this city is amazing, especially for people who do not live in the mountains. Mm. It's a tiny, tiny city with a wonderful, nice middle-aged part. And then you step out of the door and you see that high mountains in front of you. Wow. It's just like, bam. And that's amazing. Innsbruck is, um, the old part is really very, very charming. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, Salzburg. Yeah. Um, 
I love my hometown. I have to admit, uh, it's it's very it's tiny, middle aged. The center is middle aged, not not every every part. So we we have a railway station and an airport. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah, I've checked. <laughs> And uh, we have all those wonderful lakes and yes. mountains all around. So it's uh, it's beautiful. The countryside's beautiful. Okay. And what is it like in sort of roughly March, early March? Uh, you will have snow then. In Tyrolia, okay. you will have snow. Yeah. Salzburg is uh, a bit milder. So okay. then, um, you, you, if you're lucky, you can have a bit like spring feeling then in Salzburg already but I will show you around if you want. Yes, we would love to go and visit you. <laughs> and of course, any guests that come on my podcast, they will say the same thing. So that's great. And what is Austrian food? That's one thing I'm like, a sausage maybe, but like, I don't really know much <laughs> Austrian yeah. food. Like, what, what is that? Oh, that is, um, that's a very interesting thing because um, the Austrian kitchen is, kind of divided right okay. because we were ages ago a real huge country and uh yeah. when we still had kings and queens and stuff like that you know cc the the queen um yeah. very famous one so um the eastern part of austria you have that it's Böhmische küche means the the kitchen from which is now the czech republic and slovakia uh, okay so you have yeah. that stuff yeah. And the other part, the, the Western part is quite rural, um, meaning all you have high mountains and steep valleys and farmers and people living from very little. So from okay. that tradition, another kitchen developed. If you, if you want to have it in a nutshell, one might say that the Austrian kitchen is a very meaty one. Okay. And me being a vegetarian for uh, yeah, over are. 35 years now, <laughs> I can tell you stories like <laughs> in the 80s, you went to a restaurant and you said, um, I don't eat meat and mm. they gave you a salad because okay. that was the only choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but now it's okay? It's now, it's much better because okay. we have a Mediterranean influence, very yes. strong one. I mean, the most famous uh, dish is the, the Wiener Schnitzel. They even Schnitzel. sing in, uh, in that um, in that movie, The Sound of Music. They even yeah. sing about it. The Schnitzel yeah. with noodles and crisp apple strudels. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yes. And the apple strudel, that's um, one of those people think it's a dessert. It's like a, yeah, yeah. Like a cake with apples. Yeah. But in Austria, in, in the farmer's kitchen, you ate something like that for a main dish. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's very interesting that ah. we have very, uh, very many, many sweet dishes we used to have for a main dish, like Kaiserschmarrn, ah. which is like a very destroyed crepe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's the Austrian kitchen. But. I have to admit, as uh, with that vegetarian uh, lifestyle of mine, I always tended more to the Mediterranean yeah. kitchen, like pasta. You could get along with that for for decades. <laughs> okay. And what about a top tip for coffee? What city does the best coffee or what town maybe does the best coffee, do you think, in Austria? 
Oh gosh, I mean Vienna is famous for its mm. coffee places. Yeah. Because um they are really wonderful. Um, yeah. You should try some of them. The very old fashioned over 200 year old wow. coffee places. Yeah. Um I have to admit that you know that Trieste in Italy um yeah. was once Austrian. So they share a, a great coffee tradition. And I have to admit, but we have to be, uh, don't say that out loud. They have the nicer coffee places here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. if it's the truth, it's I the mean, truth. <laughs> we have uh, um, still two very old traditional coffee places in Salzburg as well. And you you have that, what you really imagine like those waiters in a suit and serving oh, right. the coffee on like yeah, yeah. silver like plates and, and it's oh i love it <laughs> oh wow i cannot wait to get to austria especially <laughs> vienna vienna was like a city that we were definitely gonna prioritize but mm. i'm intrigued by the other parts like salzburg innsbruck and all that so yeah. that's great i had one person come on the podcast and claim and I think I left it in the podcast as well. So it's on record that he said that Turkish pizza was better than Italian pizza. Oh my God. And as God. soon as he said it, he regretted it. <laughs> <laughs> he asked me to take it out, but I was like, no, nah, that's staying in. Um, <laughs> so no comeback from that. No one's, no one's kicked off about that. So it's, it's all been good. Okay. So travel, you do quite a lot of van life or van travel, should we say? And I want to know first. When did travel first come into your life? Like, do you remember when you're younger, any trips or was there one trip in particular that sort of piqued your interest in travel? How did that start? Oh, um, that was an amazing story. Um, I was born in, to a farmer's family. So traveling was not what we did. Mm. <laughs> so you were told that um, you stay home and work. That's the normal way of life. So as I was very, very good in school, when I was 13, my English teacher convinced my parents to let me travel to the UK oh. uh, for two weeks into summer holidays to improve my English. Oh, wow. Okay. And I still remember this trip so very well because I was, first of all, overwhelmed that I could do that. And she really had some hard work to do to convince my parents. <laughs> I was really like, oh, my God, I'm traveling, I'm traveling. And I mean, 13 mm. uh, and traveling alone. I mean, in the group, but you are still a kid. And from uh, at, at that day, I've never been alone to the city. So we lived in a, in a little village on, on the edge of the city. I've never been to the city alone by bus. So then this was the first huge trip. And I remember that, first of all, I was so happy. And then a week before the whole thing started, I got so nervous. I started praying. Oh, dear Lord, could you please make my best friend Horst go? I don't want any more. <laughs> <laughs> But the Lord didn't listen, so I <laughs> went to uh, England, northern England, to Burnley, which is next to oh, Manchester. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. that's way up north. Yeah, that's, that's a yeah. random place to go. That, the family was wonderful, and yeah. 
And I remember one trip we did there, uh, we visited the Bronte country and I was a huge fan of Wuthering Heights then. So mm -hmm. being there, I was like, oh my God. And this, um, I still get goosebumps when I talk about it. <laughs> oh my God. Good. That's good. And this like impressed me so, so much that whenever I come back to, to Britain, I always go there to Bronte. Country. Oh, do you? Oh, okay. Yeah. I've never been. I've been there several times and it changed a lot, of course, because it got very touristic. You can mm. do all those tours and stuff. But still, if you like walk away from that museum part and you just walk across country, you can't imagine how that novel like was created it's it's wonderful and this is how the whole wish for traveling the urge for traveling started because i was so young and got back and i i knew hey i can do it i did it i went there i went to england all by myself oh my god came back home and said i want to want to go again and and my my parents just panicked <laughs> because they thought um it's done you know let yeah. let, let her go and then she'll be healed <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, I came back to to great britain in uh, two years after and then that huge wish inside myself started to grow i want to go to america mm. i was like america <laughs> <laughs> So when I was 17, then I, I did my first trip to the US. It was amazing. It was the end of the 80s. No cell phones, no computer, no booking.com, stuff like that. <laughs> you really had to do the things when you came there, right? Ask people, um, try to check your things. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't call your parents. That was much too expensive. So yeah. And I, I still, um, that's one, one thing. I now understand they were back home and they didn't hear from me for three weeks. Mm. That must be hell. Of course, at that age, I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if your if your parents are not travelers themselves, then the thought of you doing something that they've not even done, it must be terrifying because they're not only yeah. doing something that they probably don't understand that much, but you actually are on your own and they're child is away and you're not hearing from them for about three or four weeks like if if they were travelers themselves and they've done that thing when they were that age they might have a bit more understanding but yeah that must have been a totally alien concept yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was it <laughs> did you have any siblings yes i i have a sister she's yeah. four years younger and she does not travel okay and so they she had says that. um she has uh, three kids, so you, you want to go for summer vacation, but she always says she doesn't go any farther than one and a half hours drive. Is that still Austria? Yeah, yeah, that's still Austria. Okay. <laughs> I, I guess she went to Italy twice. Right. But that was kind for her. It was a nightmare. What would she say is the reason that she doesn't like travel or doesn't go traveling, do you think? Mm, we talked about that a lot. Hmm. And she, she doesn't put it that way. She goes more that direction saying, what's wrong with you? Why can't <laughs> you just stay back stay. home? Yeah. What, what's your problem? Why do you have to do that? Hmm. 
and um, especially because I'm traveling uh, um, by myself a lot that started in uh, 2009 that was a very very helpful situation with a boyfriend of mine mm -hmm. so to to this time I I really traveled with my boyfriends like everybody does right yeah and I remember we bought that Volkswagen camper van and it it turned 37 this year I wow. got a birthday birthday card from my mechanic <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> yeah, it is I love that stuff so um we went to Tuscany lovely um I, I've been to Tuscany several times by motorbike and I loved it and I wanted to show it to him because it, he's never been there and stuff like that mm. so we went there by the Fox by, by the Volkswagen camper van and in Pisa I, I remember that situation so well that boyfriend of mine said hey listen um I grabbed my bicycle now I'm 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 riding to um Assisi with the bicycle I mean that's a seven days ride wow and I said you're doing what and he said yeah you know I, I just need some time off and and I was like what <laughs> <laughs> and and he was gone not you know no fight not being mad at each other or something yeah. he just that he needs some time and I was there all alone with that for me very new car it was mm. the new car but um you get to you have to get used to all that stuff I was like I can't believe it he just <laughs> leaves me alone in, in pizza <laughs> why <laughs> and after that week I like tasted that wonderful taste of traveling alone so nice ah it's amazing it's so wonderful and I was then going to ask like did you learn a lot of lessons from maybe those early trips to the one you're talking about now about traveling did you learn you know all the basic skills of like how to yeah. speak to someone randomly how to find your way to your accommodation how to go and mm. get food where to find stuff like did you learn all these skills um from I had to on? I had to learn a lot yeah one of the most interesting things was for example that i i hated it to go for dinner by myself okay i couldn't do that oh wow and now when i think back i think why i mean i don't care anymore yeah i don't care yeah 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 in these days it was a real challenge for me and like so what what do i take with me like a book or a newspaper or you have something to hide and and now I think it's the most normal thing in the world um that was one thing I had to learn and the other was and that took me much longer not to over overdo myself with like I started with long-term travel traveling in in 2015 so mm. being away in the camper van for two or three months and what always happens to me or happened to me um I was like riding the car and looking at the map because I hate navigation systems <laughs> so looking at the map and going there ah, it's cool and going go and go and then all, all of a sudden the campground you wanted to go to is closed already so I didn't check those things 
Mm. You could check them on your phone or in the internet. But honestly, I got my first smartphone in 2019. So. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need that crap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what always happened very often, then I've been driving for eight or nine hours, freaking tired, not having eaten. And then it's getting dark and you are in the middle of nowhere and don't know where to go. Mm. And this feeling of absolute desperation, that's awful. And yeah. I had to find a way to, to be clear with myself, when is my strength at its peak and then mm -hmm. it's good to stop. Uh, the wonderful thing is that I got a dog in 2017 and now she tells me. So okay. <laughs> the dog doesn't play that game with you, right? After nine hours in the car, she yeah. says, hey, are you completely crazy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What, um, what breed of dog is, is your dog? It's a Chihuahua. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Super small. Very oh. tiny Chihuahua. Yeah. <laughs> very cozy there. Yes. Um, it's like, the, you know, that Campbell van is a real uh, small one. And yeah. um, I wanted a dog for, for, for a long time, but I always said to myself hey i mean imagine yourself with a german shepherd and it's raining yeah. outside yeah and, oh, you don't want to think about that we yeah. want a bernese so imagine a bernese <laughs> dog like you know they're huge aren't they and then yeah oh. they, get, they get wet and muddy and it comes in your camper van that'd be a nightmare oh my god <laughs> my nephew came one day came up to me and said they have chihuahuas at the at the shelter the dog shelter they still babies and they took them away from some ugly guy so why don't you want to save one of them them and i thought chihuahua oh my god i have to like get some pink nail polish or something yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy i didn't expect that these dogs are so so much fun and so strong in their will let's put it that way <laughs> yeah a lot of dogs aren't they yeah I think even smaller dogs can be like that, definitely for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so in your camper van, how often do you travel in your camper van per year? And how do you decide where to go? Um, normally, two times. Um, I mean, it depends on how long I'm on, on the road. For example, in 2019, I, I decided um, I want to try that to like head off and not making a decision when to come back or where okay. to go just like let life happen day to day yeah yeah and then i um i like quit my apartment so i had no apartment to come back to that was mm -hmm. was like done yeah and that was a, a real it was a cool experiment to know that i cannot just turn around and go back home because there is no home anymore. Yeah. Um, so in this year, of course, I just did one trip, um, which which brought me, oh my God, in so many countries. I, I started with uh, Switzerland, Luxembourg, um, France, Spain, Portugal. So the whole European. Wow. How long was that for? Four months. Wow, four months. Yeah. yeah. That's so great. And with all that time, you know, being somewhere and, and realizing, oh my God, it's, it's magic here. I just stay for three weeks. Mm. 
because no one cares. That's <laughs> 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 wonderful. <laughs> Not being driven by I have to do this, 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 right? Because it's a trip and I want to see stuff. And, um, that was a very, very uh, a wonderful magic experience for me because I've been traveling Europe a lot when I was very young with, mo mm -hmm. with my motorbike. And I always had this, okay, we have to do this mountain and this road and this city and this and this because you want to see everything. Yeah. And then sometimes it's getting stressful. I guess it's like a bit of anxiety, isn't there? Like, I've, yeah. I can't miss that place. I've got to do yeah. this place. Yeah, I talked about this a little bit about this on my podcast about this like mentality of or lifestyle of having slow travel. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, there's, there's real life things that can affect that having a job, for example, that you have to be on a laptop nine to five, Monday to Friday, for example, that, ha that will affect it. And you have an apartment, so you have to pay rent. And if you're paying rent for somewhere you don't live, what's the point? So you have to like f factor that in. So there's all these factors that come in that kind of stops people from really relaxing on their trips. And like you say, mm -hmm. it can get stressful and a bit anxiety driven if you're pushed for time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I realized that when I went to Thailand uh, the first time, because I, I was invited to a wedding there. Oh, nice. Of mine, married. Yeah. And I never wanted to travel Asia. I have to admit, I, I <laughs> never wanted that. I don't know why. I, I, I thought it's dirty and crowded and points. <laughs> Isn't that awful? Yeah. So I went to Thailand and I had um, three weeks. But for me, the only point I, I, I needed to be at was that, that wedding date. Mm -hmm. And so there was no stress for me. I went to Bangkok. I liked it there and I stayed for 10 days. Mm -hmm. So and after the wedding, I thought Bangkok was so cool. Let's go back there. And when I came home, all people asked, you've been to Thailand. Did you see this, 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 this? I sat there. Uh-uh, no. <laughs> Bangkok, two weeks. What did you do there? I didn't even leave uh, Banglampu, the, the part. I didn't oh, leave wow. it. I okay. just stayed there. Yeah. There were so many nice bars and they did live music. I loved singing. So I sang yeah. every evening in another bar. They like let me get on stage and <laughs> do my stuff. <laughs> hey, if you like it, like why not carry on? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Like the fact that you are not worried about staying in Bangkok for two weeks. I love Bangkok. I could stay there for two weeks. Easy. Um, but I remember yeah. my, my Bangkok story, like it's a bit like yours, but there's a different ending. So we were there for a week, seven days. And me and my friend were loving it, like almost out every night, meeting loads of people, seeing all the sights in Bangkok. And we almost got to the seventh day and we're like, we have to leave. We got to go and see like the rest of Southeast Asia because we can't just stay in Bangkok for three months. And we had to like force ourselves to book a bus and go to Cambodia. But oh if I'm honest, God. we could have stayed for another week easy, um, just checking it out. We loved it that much. Yeah. So unfortunately, like we had a, a date and a place to get to and we did have to get a move on. Um, but yeah, Bangkok mm. was a great experience for us. So for your camper van, do you have any sort of like rules and what, what I mean by this is like you mentioned earlier about traveling too much doing too much 
So now if you're driving from one place to another, you have rules like, well, early, I'll get up early, I'll drive early. So you arrive early and you're not like driving in the dark late in the evening. My equivalent would be like nowadays, I wouldn't even entertain overnight buses because I can't sleep on them. So the mm. next day I'll have lack of sleep. I'll be tired. I won't want to do anything. And I see it as a wasted day. So it's like one little rule I have. Mm. But yeah, do you have any rules for your camper van? Um, I have to admit that um, the rules are made mainly by the weather because I have ah, no aircon okay. on it. Yeah. And I wouldn't care about that, but the dog does. So if we have a very, very hot days, um, for example, in when was that? There was summer, um, summer 2017, when I took the dog with me the first time, we had 40 degrees on the Atlantic coast in France already in June. Wow. And I came there and I realized, first of all, we cannot stay. That's mm -hmm. that's no good at all. Yeah. And and second, from now on, I, I really have to take that early morning hours for driving. And then so I made I, I really made dog decisions. I, I took the map and like a weather app and I I, I took a look where it's under 30 degrees. Mm -hmm. And that was Ile de Ré. Uh, in the Atlantic, um, I love that place, and I've I would have never gone there because it's a kind of a very fashionate place. No. They say that all the rich French people go there, so yeah. I would have never chosen it. But it said on the map here it's twenty eight, and everywhere else it's over thirty. <laughs> I go there, and I I love it. So I love those um, coincidences that just happen. But um, the rules are, for me, it's like, of course, if I stay on a campground, it has to be a dog-friendly one. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, you don't like that, right? I love staying um, like I did, for example, in Scotland, where it's allowed to just stay somewhere. Oh, wild camp. Yeah. Oh, That's going to be another question of mine. Do you, do you wild camp? But I guess that depends yeah. on the country, doesn't it? Yes. Because um, I, I'm... I have to admit, I, I don't do it where they say they don't want it. Why yeah. should I do that if people say we don't want yeah. it here and they Fair. put up signs and I don't. So, but in Scotland, for example, I, I loved it. And uh, my rule there is um, every third day, go to a campsite, take a shower. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what people do because it's a small car. I don't have a shower on board, but I don't have... Um, other rules no okay that, they're, they're good rules i like them okay <laughs> we're gonna talk about solo travel if you've got any tips for women just quickly back to your boyfriend did he come back in italy <laughs> <laughs> we met in assisi yeah yeah you did meet there yeah. and yeah we met there and uh i i had to thank him yes of course because he opened a complete new life for me um yeah. first of all trusting that that car yeah. Um, old cars, they have their own character. Things can break. And mm. I had so many adventures with that car that now I'm getting better and better in repairing small stuff by myself. Oh, good. That's and, great. Uh, my mechanic is a wonderful guy. He teaches me stuff. Yeah. So, for example, if there is something where he thinks that might break, we just 
lie under the car. I take my camera and he shows me how to fix this and this. And then <laughs> I have that how-to video. Yeah. And that's amazing. And sometimes it's not possible. Um, for example, in, in, in Portugal, once a, a fuel hose like broke and it was dripping and smelling and I thought, oh my God, you, know that <laughs> you have that in your fantasy. Some, some guy goes by and throws away his cigarette and whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to change that. It was just a tiny part. You could fix it, but that was so rusted. Um, yeah. I couldn't, couldn't manage it. Uh, by myself but nevertheless he gave me an a how-to um, per whatsapp call and um, if nice. I'd been strong enough I could have done it but so I had to get to the garage and they they repaired it okay yeah. cheeky question before we go to solo travel very quick question on what you're saying so we are doing a road trip next summer with our camper van here in Canada and US mm -hmm. we're going to drive around we don't know barely anything about cars so what are the two or three things that we should definitely know how to fix or change on the car is it a diesel or a normal, normal petrol yeah ah okay um and and how old is it 2000 so it's 20 okay, that's not 22 23 years yeah. old yeah because what I would recommend um, with a car that age is that you, you really ask a friend or professional what are the typical things that break. Uh, yeah. That's what I did. For example, I can, mm. I can change my, my petrol pump. Yeah. Because for the Volkswagen, one knows that this part breaks quite often. Yeah. Meaning okay. it doesn't do that every year, but every 10 years. So I have, Got these it. are so tiny, you know, like, like pencil sharpens. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have one extra, a new one with me. Yeah. And when, when it, um, when the car doesn't work anymore, then I check is, is the thingy getting some petrol? And if not, I just put the new part in. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Or for example, what, what um, I, always carry with me is a how do you call a thing where the the smoke <laughs> <laughs> i can see what you're doing <laughs> for people listening there's hand gestures uh i i'm the worst of cars i i'm not gonna know but you mean like the the pipe for the, the exhaust right yeah 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 right do you have like a spare one maybe or none not that but there there exists repair kits ah okay and so if it's with, a hole in the exhaust you can yes repair the and hole with a 22 year old car like yours is i would invest in something like that ah, okay because right. those things they tend to break on long trips they love to do it on long trips and not back home yeah. and then you hear it and of course um it's not the worst thing that can happen, but it's not very good if, if the, there is a hole. So mm. you repair that, that's like a like paste. You paste it around it and then it dries and that's it. Yeah, okay. Stuff like that. Or um, I always carry um, a, like those large black tapes. Yeah, duct tape. With me. Yeah, because they say that can fix anything. <laughs> 
And of course, YouTube. That's a easy, helpful tip these days. Unlike, I don't know, pre-YouTube, ten years ago, more than ten years ago. I guess that would have been asking someone, but now you could maybe research it on YouTube. That's a handy tool to have. Okay, there's some good tips. We'll bear that in mind. I did ask the mechanic. I think a few a few months ago, we we had a service in the car, and I said to him, "So, twenty-one years old." You just done a service on it. Do you think we could drive this across Canada? He's like, yeah, yeah, like like a normal car. He said, yeah, like there could be external things that happen that you can't control. But he said the car as it is now. He said, you know, if you look after it, I don't see why not. So I'm like, oh, he seems to think it's okay. But you got to bear in mind, Canada's huge, right? That it, it if we go west to east, that is ah. thousands of kilometers. I love to 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 come over with my old car yes that'd be great wouldn't oh, it i'd love to do that because they have a, a ferry a ferry i mean <laughs> a huge ship from yeah. from hamburg to halifax oh that's where we're going to finish and yeah yeah you can ship yeah. it and it doesn't cost cost a fortune it's just a thousand eight hundred euros oh it's not too bad yeah i mean if you stay long then uh, it's really better than renting a camper Yes, the gas and petrol is cheaper in mm. Canada, and especially if you go to the US, even cheaper if you go south. Yeah. So you, you would save money technically, I guess, on those like petrol costs. But yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good tip maybe for someone in Europe if they want to drive across in their own van. No, that's awesome. Okay, solo travel. Do you have any tips for female solo travelers from what you've learned on your trips? Yeah, many. <laughs> The first thing is that many females who are traveling alone, and I myself was like that, are very proud of doing that. So if people, especially men, ask you, are you traveling alone? You say, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't say that is dangerous, but it can be like um, pulling your nerves because some men, and this still is the case, um, they then think you need help or you need company. Mm. So then you'll never get rid of them as cruel as this sounds. And no, no, fair point. I now have that technique that I like, I take my time to realize which energy is, is going on here. Yeah. And if I realize, oh, that's one of these guys, then I say, at the moment, I'm traveling alone. Yes, but my husband will meet me in four days. Yeah, that's a good, um, good tip. Done. I know that sounds so simple, but um, I had to find that out. All other things are, in my opinion, the same. If you're traveling alone as a woman or a man, be careful where you where you camp when you you're wild camping because you are alone, and. Uh, and then you don't have that second pair of ears or eyes that people have when they are two of them, right? Yeah. So, for example, when, when I was traveling Scotland, of course, I like put a large sign on the dashboard which says drive left because we are not used to that, right? Yeah. And that worked out for four weeks. And after four weeks, I was like uh, staying overnight at one of those lochs. Yeah. Amazing. Got up in the morning, 
thought that I don't need a coffee, hopped into the car, whoosh, I was on the right-hand side. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah. So if you if you are, have someone with you, he or she might have said, hey, drive left. <laughs> so you have to be a bit more careful about new situations because you are the only one in charge. And that means you have to you need more rest or more coffee, whatever your <laughs> decision is. But um, that's the thing. Um, I would recommend to trust the, the gut instinct you have. If you yes. go somewhere and you you think, oh, gosh, I don't like it here, then leave. Yes, you're don't right. discuss it with yourself, just leave. Because if you are traveling with uh, someone else you would discuss it right mm -hmm. but then there's two of you <laughs> and being alone it's just but the, yeah. the the most important thing is that i i really recommend it i i think that traveling alone is one of the biggest gifts you can give yourself yeah i saw a quote i think two or three weeks ago i like it because i do agree with it I'll, I'll tell you someone said you never really traveled until you traveled solo. Mm. Now, technically, if you're going technicality of the words, it's not true because you can travel with your friend forever and that's technically traveling. But obviously the, the meaning behind it is traveling solo gives you experiences and life skills that probably you wouldn't learn with someone else. Mm. Um, and I, I do agree that going solo with your male or female, I think you do learn a lot. I think it's worth doing at least once in your lifetime, I think. And I went to Greece to for two weeks just now on my own i've not done that solo travel on my own for a period of time it must have been since 2014 i think when i was in south america so it was good to get back on that, that solo trail and i learned yeah a few things about myself really um mm -hmm. and a few things about travel that is interesting I, i'll give you an example i'll see what you think about this my travel anxiety comes and this is this might sound a bit weird right i love exploring all day so let's say uh, I arrived in one of the islands in Greece. I was up at, I don't know, seven, half seven, went out to a local place for breakfast and coffee. I was like, right, I'm going to go see this, walk around, or go and have another coffee in a local cafe, and I'm out all day. So I get back in the evening, maybe let's say 7 p.m. But then my anxiety kicks in, because then I think I should be doing something in the evening as well, because I'm not going to experience travel in the evening. I've done it a whole day, I've walked 15,000 steps. I've spoke to local people, seen some sites, seen some great stuff, but then anxiety is like, ah, oh, I should be out again in the evening. But mm -hmm. actually, if I analyze myself, I don't, that's not a priority for me deep down, but I feel bad not going out in the nighttime. What do you think about that? Mm, that's an interesting question. Huh. I think that for me, it's quite different because nowadays I, I work when I travel. I'm doing okay. that for 10, for 10 years now, hmm. meaning that um, I'm doing my, my stuff for clients. I'm, I'm a writer yeah. and I'm a professional SEO writer, so search engine ah, optimization. Okay. Yeah. So that is the main part where the money comes in. And um, that means still when i'm traveling i have a day off here and a day off there and i want to do some sightseeing of course but in between i have to do my normal work days mm -hmm. and um 
so that makes the decision quite simple, right? I, mm -hmm. I have my day off, I do stuff, and then I'm back there in the camper when it's raining or outside when it's nice mm -hmm. and have my computer, write my text, send them, send my invoices, which is the most important part when you travel. <laughs> yeah, you need them. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think that I had travel different travel phases all my life. So between 20 and 30, I was the motorcycle enthusiast. So okay. we went all through Europe by motorbike, a, a Amazing. little gang, two guys yeah. and me, and, gang. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we always, as, as we were students, then we had the whole September where university hasn't started yet. So all three of us were cabbies. We were cab drivers. Oh, okay. Financing yeah. our university studies by cab driving. And the summer season in Salzburg is really good. Mm -hmm. So we did two months of like working like hell and then one month off. Yeah. And so then we had that, that all together, like you have the motorbike, you are exhausted in the evening. Yeah. You maybe go for one beer, but then you're like, you're knocked out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so that was this phase. And then I started skydiving when I was uh, 30. Oh, wow. And I listened to one of your podcasts when you talked about skydiving and I went like mentally back to that time within a second. <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've got some questions about skydiving coming up. I, think, no, but, yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, they're talking about being scared of, of, of the height. and <laughs> <laughs> I love skydiving. I love it. Oh, I can't, I can't wait to my next one. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. So I did... Uh, 10, 11 years of, of intensive skydiving experiences and over 400 jumps, which isn't much Ooh. for that amount of time. Okay. But uh, I did the best you can do because it's quite expensive, the whole thing. Yeah, I've, I've looked into <laughs> it. Yeah, it's actually quite expensive. Yeah. yeah. And so that was a complete different uh traveling style then because whenever mm -hmm. we wherever we went you had that rig with you and you you want to wanted to do your your skydives mm. so and that in um sardinia i guess nice. that's the right name in in uh, i went a lot to spain to empuria brava on costa brava italy czech republic so skydiving all over it was so then that was different and now it's that long-term traveling mm. phase where i um don't have that anxiety because i know next time i'm traveling i will start in august and i can come back whenever i want and if yeah. it's getting christmas yeah who cares so, yeah i think that's the thing isn't it it's the time constraint because yeah. i had two weeks and i had a flight back to london so I guess yes. I felt like if I wasn't going out and even like speaking to locals, having a beer, whatever, yeah. I felt like I was missing out. And th there was one, there was one night that was funny. I was like, "Come on, James, it's um, it's weird because I'd go out for dinner to a local restaurant, so like I'd be speaking, but I'd maybe like have dinner, but yeah, you know, I was solo traveling, so I'd do it by myself, and then probably just go home. But one evening I had dinner. I was like, "No, go on, let's go for a beer at the local place that I know on this island." And I went there, and there's no one in there. <laughs> I was like, "Ah." Oh. <laughs> There's actually no one to talk to. <laughs> so the whole point was to go out, have a beer, and like you know, mingle with the locals. But there was no one there. 
Um, so I had the beer, which was fine, but <laughs> that justified me not always going out and even thinking that I'm missing something because actually, yeah. especially in the off season in Greece, there's no tourist. Like the locals just close up early. So mm. yeah, it's quite an interesting lesson that I learned. Okay, so I've got a question here. What is the purpose of travel? Do you think the purpose of traveling is to explore yourself? Of course, you explore nature, you explore other countries, you 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 do all that. But yeah, I think deep inside, uh, it's all about exploring oneself, finding out where are my like borders, uh, how far can I go, what do I not like, what do I like, mm. um, how does it feel when especially if you are an adventurous person like I am. I'm, I always made, for example, a philosophy out of skydiving because there were so many different feelings coming mm. with it. And that thinking of why, why do I feel this here and this there? And it's like, um, and all skydivers who are getting older, they, they say that, okay, if we are 20 or 30, we don't talk about feelings, but looking back now we say oh my god we were so close as a group because the experience is so deep going on a, on an emotional level mm -hmm. and i think that's uh, that's with traveling it's 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 all about that i have special like smells or noises from the car for example where i'm getting deep deep feelings so that Volkswagen sound is a very special sound, you know, <laughs> yeah. if, if it's warm, the motors, the engine is warm and you go and it does that sound. I feel so cozy. That's yeah. like an old, old, old childhood feeling. Like you nestle in that seat and you oh. <laughs> <laughs> I could go forever. It's <laughs> a good purpose. Yeah. I like, I, I like asking that question because it's, it's different for every person and no answer the same. It's quite a cool question. So I'm going to dive into, uh, that's a good pun. I did not mean that. I was going to dive into your skydiving <laughs> and your books and your writing coaching and also the happiness and the mentality towards the end before some questions. So skydiving, I do love it. It's the one thing we, you know, when you analyze people's like travels and they're either like diving in water or they're skiing or they're bungee jumping. I guess mine is heights. So I would love to do, love, I've done two skydives. I'd love to do paragliding, hang gliding there on my list, um, some, somewhere around the world. So how did you get into skydiving? I guess you must've done a tandem dive first and then thought, oh, I'd like to do this no, one myself. No, <laughs> God. Oh, my skydiving story fills in the evening. All skydivers love it. Uh, no, there was, <laughs> I grew up next to the airport in Salzburg which okay. was a, an airfield in these days and they did skydiving there um, nowadays it, it, it's the, the airport got that big it's not allowed anymore to jump next to the um, airfield but in these days that was the case so we as kids we went there by bicycle like watching those heroes heroes yeah. heroes no one would dare to talk to those skydivers because they were you know, and um, I told about that experience, um, my best friend or my oldest friend, um, before I became 30. 
And he thought that I still have the urge to skydive because I said, when I was a kid, I wanted to do that. But my, my mom said, that's so expensive. We are not rich enough to do that. And that thing was done for me. I, I never asked again or thought about it mm. again. So I told him that. And he then organized a trip to the Czech Republic uh, for the, the whole course, the skydiving course, plus three jumps. Okay. And they gave it to me as a birthday present for my 30th birthday, uh, three friends of mine. And I said, I was like, what? Uh, you want to kill me? <laughs> you just, you want to get rid of me? I, I, I go there, but you have to do it too. I, I wouldn't do that. Mm. I mean, okay. So we went there. And one very nice guy speaking German, he had organized the whole thing. But what we didn't know was that, first of all, they didn't do tandem jumps to just oh. let you know how it is. They put okay. you on automatic openings, put yeah. you on that plane, which was an Antonov AN2, which is the largest single engine <laughs> okay. plane you have. <laughs> and then there was this lady who opened the door and she she just yelled at us. She yelled and we jumped. And, <laughs> and the whole thing. I mean, they explained everything, but in Czech. And the guy who had organized it, he translated. But that felt like, okay, there in front, there was a guy talking and he talked about 20 minutes. And then that German-speaking guy turned around and he said two sentences. <laughs> I, I had that strong feeling that something must be missing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would. <laughs> yeah, so we did that uh, first uh, three jumps with the automatic opening thing from 800 meters, which isn't very high. So that means that the parachute just opens straight away. Yes, that's like a link you in the airplane. Yeah. They, you have a, a little rope which breaks then, but it pulls out the parachute. Yeah, okay. And after those three jumps, they yeah. put us into real gear and uh, and we had to do that. I mean, they showed it how to, but not with a teacher in the air, which they do nowadays. You have two teachers in the air who yeah, like yeah. stabilize you and help you and do this. I've never seen a teacher up there. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Whenever I tell this story to skydiving people in Austria, Germany, they are like, what? <laughs> but we thought that's, that's the way to do it. Nobody told us. <laughs> so your training was basically three jumps out with an automatic chute coming out. So you, you are literally jumping out and the parachute is done. You're just gliding mm -hmm. down. So that's your, your landing, if you like. And then uh, straight after that full skydive suit on, they show you some videos or show you, or tell you how it's done and you're just going to jump out of the plane. Yeah, they put us on the ground <laughs> and we had to do that movement, right? Because you, are, you, you have to lie in the air in that frog position with all yeah. four. And then when you want to open your parachute, you have to do a special movement with your arms. Otherwise you start to twist 
and oh, you had to right. train that yeah you ah, have to okay. move your arms yeah in the contra direction otherwise you you would would start ah, spinning i didn't, didn't know that so we, okay we had to train that on the ground of course but mm -hmm. um nobody could tell what we are doing up there wow <laughs> Which was... what, what was that first jump like the after the you don't need three <laughs> first jumps the automatic parachute what was the first one after that what was that like first of all i felt much better because the i knew the parachute was one you could handle better okay uh, the first three jumps were with a round canopy yeah and you you have very limited possibilities to like move it uh, okay so yeah. you are most uh, yeah the wind does the stuff and that's i don't like that i want to make my decisions <laughs> <laughs> so i was happy about that parachute and of course you are nervous i remember that after the landing this feeling okay i did it i could run i'm, I'm there i did it on my own oh when I came home after that weekend, I thought I, I can do everything yeah. in life. Mm. Nothing can stop me. You, you're so pumped with adrenaline and um, this uh, knowledge that you did something really special. Yeah, that would give you that feeling. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I'd love to look into that in the future. Okay, that's great. And we're gonna go to your books and being an author. You've written nine books. I think I read there was 10 book on the way. I'm not sure if that's been finished and released, but can you tell the listeners, what do you write about? What is in your books? Yeah, what's in my books. So um, I started with non-fictional books yeah. in 2013. And the, that was a garden book. Oh. So my first book was a garden book. I. Yeah. The story behind it is very simple. I got fired from one day to the other after 17 years in the same company. And um, I couldn't find another job. I've been working for the biggest broadcasting company in Austria. And as we are a tiny country, there were no other chances. I was over yeah. 40. People told me you have no chance in that industry. So forget it. Um, I always loved writing. I've been writing a lot for magazines and newspapers as a freelancer always. That never was my main job. Okay. And then I sat there and I, I was like desperate and, and thinking, gosh, what? So first of all, I, I founded my own company because I couldn't find a job and I thought I have to do something. Yeah. So, uh, so let's, let's play self-employed now. That's what I thought. And, uh, and then my aunt came up to me because I was really desperate. I mean, nowadays, I think it was the most funniest situation in life, but it wasn't in the moment. Mm. And, and she came up and said, why don't you write a book now? I mean, you've got time now. Yeah. Then I thought, yeah, she's so right. I'm a time millionaire. I mean, I'm broke, but I'm a time millionaire. <laughs> So, <laughs> okay. So then I thought about what, and I, I love gardening. My grandma taught me a lot about gardening. So I wrote a book for people who are broke and don't have a garden and not all that expensive pot stuff and thingies, but just old shopping bags, mm. fill them with earth and grow in there. This idea was so new and so funny in 2013 that I immediately found a publisher. Oh, which wow. Is, 
a wow lucky situation as yeah, a yeah. new yeah. new author. Yeah. So I had uh, I wrote twelve emails to Austrian publishers, and two of them wanted me. And I I was in the situation that I could make a decision which one I like better. Mm -hmm. And I took a wise choice. I'm very happy, still very happy. I took that choice, and and they were uh, overwhelmed with what I delivered. They loved me, and that's okay. good. If the publisher yeah. loves you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so they came up to me with another book project. They said, um, because they are a, a publishing company which is specialized on those handicraft stuff. And they wanted me to write a book about, um, you know, coloring your, your textiles, clothes and, and wool and stuff with plants, mm -hmm. not industrial colors, but uh -huh. natural colors. Yeah. And they said, do you know someone who does that, who could show you everything and you write it? I said, yeah, I know. My aunt does that. So <laughs> oh, wow. she, who, who's, who had the original idea, why don't you become a writer? <laughs> With her, I did the second book. That's and great. that was... Um, they were so happy with that. They even um, sold the, the license and it got published in Great Britain. Oh, in English, so I was like, "Oh God!" What's the name? Of, what's the name of the book? And that's Natural Dying, yeah. and it's a Schiffer is the publisher. Yeah, the same Austrian publisher. He, they said, "Okay, why why don't you do another book like that uh, with um, old techniques of printing, printing okay. techniques?" I yeah. did that. Yeah. So that was book number four. Then a friend of mine came up. She she founded the first co-working space in Salzburg and said, "Hey, I'd love to write a book of how to to how to manage a co-working space. Would you like to support me?" So we did that book. And then mm -hmm. another friend came up, and then I said, "So, ladies and gentlemen, stop it now. I have to do my own projects." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these were lovely projects, and it's good to have all that experiences, but. I then wanted to write my first novel. And that idea for that first novel was in my brain. Uh, from the first day on, I was long-term traveling with my camper. Mm -hmm. um, because I got those um, ideas of, hmm, how you call that? If you're traveling alone, there is always a moment right when you really ask yourself why am i doing that yeah i don't know if yeah. you, you know it <laughs> and for me it was that was very new because that was 2015 it's it was the first time i didn't have an end date for my traveling yeah i could go as long as i want and after five days i got those feelings and i thought that can't be true i mean i just fulfilled a life dream of mine and here I sit, could, could cry my eyes out. And I'm such a <laughs> desperate. So um, luckily I met another travel, traveler um, who travels yeah. alone as well. And I, I really admire him very much. He's in the wheelchair and travels alone. So oh, that's wow. absolutely wow. amazing. Yeah. And I, I told him about those feelings. And he said, oh, you've got to travel blues. That's normal. <laughs> and I've what <laughs> yeah what does that mean <laughs> so then um in my brain that story started mm. um, 
that blues became a real person and started to visit me once in a while in a while the traveling okay. blues and yeah so i wrote that first novel about this guy oh. the traveling blues and it's called yeah. traveling with the blues okay <laughs> <laughs> and that was a, a real wish of mine to to put those travel stories of four years all together in a novel with many many true stories but many mm. novel stories as well came back and wrote the next book and the next one and <laughs> <laughs> yeah the next two books were um i'm a an astrologer as well that always was a, a, a hobby of mine i never thought that this would be part of my company once mm. um but now i wrote two um cookbooks astrological cookbooks meaning from aries to pieces you get four dishes per sign with a oh, wow. cocktail and the first part was um uh, yeah people loved it mm. and so um i decided to write a second one where we travel around the world so we find countries that um suit the energy of of each sign for example aries the adventurous sign yeah. you would grab a fire and ice country which would be iceland or chile and the second part just got delivered one day before christmas <laughs> oh wow yeah <laughs> okay next question is going to be any tips for someone writing their first book I love to do that. First of all, visit my my course or at least my webinar, mm -hmm. um, because that is the thing that most uh, writers um, are confronted with. You have a great idea, you start, and then you get stuck and you don't find a way out of that situation. Mm. And um, that is normal, but you need someone to guide you. In my, um, I, I created kind of a seven steps program where I, I, I pick people on, on whatever part of the path they are. Yeah. And the first thing we do, as funny as it might sound, is we create a cover for each book mm -hmm. because it, brings you into the in in the situation you have to do a little bit of research right how do yeah. other other covers look like who have the same topic yeah and then you visualize it you visualize it like a vision board and you have your name on it you have the title you have the full book cover and you have the back cover where you write why people should read this book ah okay and as when you've done that this is like a lighthouse you always see it and there will be bad times and stormy times and good times and rough times but you always have that lighthouse there yeah there the cover exists and if you find a publisher, of course, they will do a complete new cover. They never mm. will take what you offer them, I can <laughs> promise you. <laughs> but you, you had it already and you can present it. So that's the first step we do um, in the program. 
And then the other thing is a lot about mindset. This, this whole stuff of, am I good enough? Will anybody read my book? I know this, it's exhausting. It destroys your will and your power and your passion. The thing is, when you are a writer, I mean, I'm not talking about the, the real well-known ones, like, I don't know, John Irving, William <laughs> Faulkner, okay? Yeah. If you're not in that top level and not many of us will get there, you will never ever hear from anybody if they liked your book. I mean, how many readers yeah. write a nice letter? Dear author, I'm so happy with your book. Nobody does that. So all you get is maybe on Amazon some testimonials, reviews, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you can't even trust them. So maybe it's just someone who hates you since you were five. <laughs> <laughs> for, for example, for traveling with the blues, um, I got one uh, email from a person, a lady, and she said, this book helped me so much because I, I always wanted to travel by myself. I was scared and I had all the thoughts you describe here, but you nevertheless did it so I can do it as well. And I thought that's one person. And if I yeah. could help her, if I could like give her, her this treasure, that's enough. If you follow a, a mindset like this, right, then you don't doubt. I, I for example, have uh, have one-to-one uh, um, -one students as well. So okay. they come up with a book project and I grab their hand and we walk together. So uh -huh. one of them, he just sent me his draft. Yeah, And we are now at that point where we will see if he finds a publisher or not. Wow. And okay. I told him, listen, I like your book. I mean, it's, it's still a raw diamond. You still have yeah. some work on, right? Yeah. But before we do that, we have to find out is a publisher interested. And I tell you one thing, if we don't find one, we don't stop here. No. Because it doesn't true. matter. Yeah. But you need someone who tells you this, yeah. who supports you with all power and strength. And, and he says, yeah, but I'm still convinced we'll find a publisher. And I said, okie dokie, good, good. I know if not, there are other ways. Mm -hmm. uh, independent publishing nowadays is not a problem. Yeah. It's easy going. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the first thing for, for newborn authors, as I call them, is make that cover and convince yourself there will be at least one person out there who loves the book. Yeah. And if I've written it just for that one person, hey, holy, why not? And there will be more, but we never know. Will we hear of them or not? <laughs> yeah, that is true. It's a bit like podcasting actually to an extent. You don't really hear many people. But also, you're right about not knowing what next steps are. I have no idea what I do next. So it's good to know that you offer that sort of service where you can go step by step and this is what happens next. This is what we do next. And that's yeah. pretty cool for, mm -hmm. for new authors or new writers who have no idea of the process. Yeah. We also do structuring work, for example, to find out your perfect structure. We mm. do roadmaps. So learn how to deal with deadlines because 
if there's a publisher or not, you need a deadline. Otherwise, it takes you 20 years to finish it. True. So, hmm? Yeah, absolutely right. We work with that. Yeah. And then, of course, at the end of the of the eight weeks program, uh, and of course, in the in the webinars, I talk about that topic as well. And that's the the topic where most questions come up. We talk about and how do I look for a publisher? How does that work? Right. That is what's the process all about? And what if when do I decide I've waited long enough and I go into self-publishing and how does that work? So we talk about all that technical stuff. Mm -hmm. And I have to admit that with my first book, um, I took a course as well. Okay. And that course yeah. was uh, was on, an, on a German platform. The course doesn't exist any longer, which is a pity. But they were just talking about publishing non-fictional books. Yeah. And they taught us simple technical things like how to write an email to a publisher. How should that be written so you have success? Yeah. How should your first draft look like? Bam, 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 bam. And I followed each and every step and had a publisher within a few weeks. There you go. So yeah. I think that is still a, a good procedure. And, and nowadays, of course, um, we can talk about platforms where you can uh, sell your book if you don't find a publisher and say, oh, well, Amazon or whatever. I mean, Amazon is just one possibility. Yeah. Oh, you get to come to my webinar. Yeah, I need to, yeah. Get that kid on the road. <laughs> Imagine how cool it would be just to have a book just that someone could buy. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. It's like writing an album, like if you're a musician, just have one. If you do it once, that's like a cool thing that that would always be there. And I know that I've got my draft. It's ridiculously long. Like I spent hours and hours on it. Um, I, I would refine it to make it shorter to a specific topic or period of time. It's nonfiction, mm. but I need to get it done. Yeah, it's on my yeah. list. Yeah, we, we have to talk about that. Get you back, back on in your power writer status and you know a, a podcaster i i had an interview with a few weeks ago he had such a funny idea he's a writer himself yeah and he said he offered um workshops how to write the worst book of your life <laughs> <laughs> he did that yeah because as you just said then it is out. So people have the feeling, I just write it now, then it's out. That's my first book. The second one I can make better. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All those thoughts were gone. They just writing. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you travel a lot, like we have, uh, and, and podcasts, naturally, that'd be my second book. Because <laughs> there's, there's a lot of learned from podcasting. But pre-podcasting, when you travel a lot, there's just so many interesting people you meet, so many interesting stories, what you've seen, what's gone well, what hasn't gone well, solo traveling. Everyone's experience in travel is different and it might offer something to someone who might read it. Personally, I don't think there'd ever be too many travel books like that because we've all got a unique story. We've all been to places that are, could be the same, but you had different experiences, right? So there's always something going on, something different, something fresh. Um, it might have the same high level subject of, backpacking for six months 
but in that there's like different stories and different stuff. One of the reasons I wrote down all the stuff because I was, I was afraid I was going to forget it all. So I spent months, you know, writing every morning, looking at Facebook, looking at all the pictures and all the people I've met. I thought if I at least get it down, just write it down that I know I can't forget it because I can read it again. That's probably the main reason I want to get the book out there. And obviously secondary is people can read it and see if they like it or not. I'm sure you know, your stories are unique. I think so. That's the thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that that's that is one thing I, I talk a lot about with uh, with young authors um imagine yourself offering your book to the local library mm. right you go there most there are very nice ladies <laughs> you say <laughs> hey I just written my first book that's what I did at my local library and yeah. that, you know what I'm writing a book. It started like that. And now I found a publisher and they said, which one? I said, this one. Oh my God, that's brilliant. So, and then I had my first book presentation there and I had every book presented in that small library. And every time I present there, I sell up to 20 copies. So at least 20 people then read especially your book because they saw you at the presentation yeah for yeah. them it is special they want your signature in it they they want to talk to you yeah and this is what makes it so special then and and different than other traveling stories in your case i highly believe in that power of local I yes. mean, it's global nowadays and that's wonderful and good, but still we are um, in our local community yeah. um, where we find our fans, our friends. And, and of course, I always have copies with me when I'm traveling and then of people course. sometimes they are <laughs> proud. They say, oh, I met that author, Sign I it. could buy the <laughs> yeah. book over there. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great idea. I would react like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just carry stickers around with me, my podcast stickers. <laughs> yeah. People even love that. I, I, I gave loads away in Greece. That was great. Mm. Okay. That's great. Great advice. I will need to personally sort it out and plan what to do next. That probably will be a message to you offline. See what I can do next. Absolutely. And I'll check out your webinar. We're going to quickly touch on your a laughter coach is that right yeah i am <laughs> certified laughter yoga trainer <laughs> okay we're going to touch on that before we get to the travel questions at the end so mm -hmm. a certified yoga laughter trainer yes what is that <laughs> uh, laughter yoga is a, a technique that was um developed in india by a doctor yeah and he found out that uh, i mean that laughing is healthy. We all know that that's, mm. that's not new knowledge, yeah. but he found out that if you just walk to the park and that's what he did and you start laughing there, people will like start laughing as well. Even if nothing's funny because laughing is like a virus, right? <laughs> so he then developed several techniques on how to do that in groups. And in the meantime, there are laughter yoga clubs in over 35 countries all over the oh, world. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you come together there and that's what the laughter yoga trainer does then that you give uh, the, the people who join 
several exercises on mm -hmm. how to laugh, to start laughing. Because um, you know that kids, when they are tiny, two years, three years, four years old, they laugh up to 400 times a day. Oh, wow. Okay. They, you know, they giggle around, like yeah, everything's yeah. funny. And can you imagine how often a normal adult laughs per day? <laughs> yeah, not a lot. <laughs> 15, 15 times. Oh, wow. That's... Comparing to 400. So laughing, it brings more, more um, oxygen into your body, right? Mm -hmm. it, it raises your hormone level. You, you get happier when you're laughing. Not you laugh more because you are happy. It's the other way around. You can initialize it. Yeah. And that's what laughter yoga is all about. So you start there with the tiny exercises. For example, um, you make people walk around in the room and every time, time they meet another person directly, they have to just giggle, like, <laughs> like whatever. So first of all, they're all like, Oh, what's this? And a bit shy, <laughs> but um, after five, six minutes, you have a whole room of giggling persons. And <laughs> then you, you give uh, exercises for breathing. It's all about breathing as well mm -hmm. and laughing. Laughing is very um, exhausting. So in between, you have to do deep breath work. Otherwise, you just <laughs> drop down and go <laughs> yeah. after a while. <laughs> And, and those exercises might be, for example, you can invent them, but in the laughter yoga training, you, you get many, many tools mm. you can use as a trainer. Then my famous one is the cocktail mixing. I love it. Oh, so wow. You, you see, yeah, yeah, you yeah. take the cocktail glasses yeah. and you see. Shake them up. You, and Yeah, you have <laughs> the, the small, small uh, thingy where you get the liquor in and see. <laughs> yeah. You mix it and then you mix it. Oh, <laughs> you mix it all together. And so you do different sounds of laughing then and people will join. There's no chance not doing that. Yeah. Okay. For back home, um, I always tell my students when you go back home and you, you are kind of shy and don't want to laugh out loud because I do that. I have a laughter buddy and she calls me or I call her once a week. And we pick up and just laugh for a minute. And then we say, have a nice day and bye-bye. And there was it. <laughs> and so if somebody's watching that, they say, yeah. oh my God, they're crazy neighbor again. <laughs> crazy. <yeah. laughs> if people are shy about that, I tell them, hey, why don't you put the smiley on your mirror in the bathroom? Mm. And every time you see it, you just smile back. Because that helps already. Yeah. Your brain thinks the moment you smile that you are happy. It sends you all the nice stuff. So you can make yourself happy. With laughter, it's of course much better. And your brain cannot make, it doesn't know if you make it up or it's real. Got if, it. You, if, if you start like, <laughs> your brain thinks you are so amused. And off goes that fireworks of wonderful things that your brain is able to send to your body. If you really, really um, laugh, it's, it's the same. Mm. So you can initialize your own happiness by laughing. And if you have prob problems with that because you feel uncomfortable, um, then watch a funny YouTube video, for example. 
And if you have something like that, then do it again, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. It lifts your energy and life level and makes you happier. Yeah, it's very interesting that because I always have like a very, very good day after they're doing like a podcast and it'd be like this morning for me because I've laughed a lot, I've learned, I've learned some stuff, I've met someone new. That's always a good feeling. There's never a bad feeling at all, ever. Mm. And that's why people should probably podcast a bit more and tell stories because they're funny and stuff like that. But what's interesting on the flip side is the day after, I could be like just working from home because of COVID now and people work at home more, you don't interact in person hardly at all now, apart from the one day a week that I go in. So actually laughter is probably even more or less now because you don't actually interact as much with your colleagues as you did before COVID because now you just can sit there on your laptop, hide away, headphones on. I mean, that's it. Like you, there's no interaction as much as there used to be. So that's quite an interesting dynamic. I mean, I dread to think if I didn't have the podcast, I mean, how much less laughter there'd be as well. Like there'd be even mm. way down, way down low, you know? So yeah, it's, it's key, I think, for life to, and your mindset, like I say, to laugh. And I think that comes with human interactions as well, right? Like you say, your friend rings you up and you laugh for a minute. But if you don't have people or, or much connection during the week, that can't be good, I don't think. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest problems uh, COVID changed so much with that. Um, especially if you're doing Zoom meetings, right, with your office. Yeah. Normally, if you have office meetings, you meet before the meeting. Yes. And then yeah. you do some chitty chatty and laugh yeah. a bit, and then you go inside and have the meeting and go outside, and then you talk about each other. <laughs> that you you cannot do that on Zoom because mm. you are in there, and that's a part of social life which really is missing, and people suffer. Yeah. The most important thing is to make them aware that it is like that many people are not they are not getting it and i understand mm. they think some th something's missing but what it's so cozy back home what why not i'm working on my own back home um, for 10 years now yeah and i have to admit that i'm a kind of a nomad person so i i I'm very happy with myself, but yeah. uh, nevertheless, I realized that you need that social interaction on a on a very like friendship level, right? A person you know a bit, like a colleague at work. You can laugh a bit, go back home. You never never meet outside of the office, but there is someone, right? Yeah, yeah. So that that is a part you have to establish on a new level level nowadays yeah it's a huge huge subject isn't it yeah it is absolutely it's weird because i think people probably don't realize that's a thing covid happens work from home what's the word there are positives to that yeah um, but i think one of the negatives that maybe wasn't appreciated was the lack of interaction and like you say the laughing interaction the the chit chat that mm. probably was not appreciated enough i don't think yeah one has has to find now new ideas for that mm. so yeah i do several um zoom meetings per week for for or with people where we don't have a real huge topic 
mm. but just to get to back to that social life we once had which we cannot do in person yet because some people are not in the traveling mode again and uh, you know, you, dur during that uh, I have to admit during that lockdown situation I met so many people from all over the world from Australia to Canada and here of course we cannot meet in person True. tomorrow we wouldn't have to plan that yes and uh, yeah. so you have to find other solutions so you met on a business level now you have to find that other level again yeah yeah re reinvent something yeah. yeah i guess that's why like different podcasts are quite unique because oh yeah the travel podcast you are gonna speak to someone you very rarely in the same town or city right they are gonna be worldwide you met someone traveling like you're in Austria, you connect different people. Whereas a lot of podcasts, they, they get together, like, don't they, you know, two or three people in the studio and they do the podcast. There's, there's the interaction there. But I think travel podcasts would never be like that, mostly. There's some that are as interesting because as a travel podcast, you've got to travel to, to do your podcast, right? You, you can't do a travel podcast without traveling. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. <laughs> maybe you can. I don't know. Maybe you can travel through social media. I'm not sure. <laughs> that might be quite a good podcast idea, actually the travel through social media, see what it's like. But yeah, you don't have to be out there if you're like a mindset podcast or a science podcast. That's not the premise of the podcast. Travel podcasts are a bit different where, you know, I need to go to Greece and I want to, I want to go to Greece and check it out, but I need to go there and obviously tell the listeners what I've learned, you know, and what you can do there. So yeah, a bit different. But anyway, Romana, where can people find you if they want advice on laughter, on how to write books? Um, is there a website that people can find you at and is there social mm -hmm. media too? Um, on social media, you can find me on Facebook with the name Romana Hasenöl, or you can find me on my uh, Facebook group, Happiness Reloaded. That group, okay. I found it during the first lockdown and it's got over 700 members now who are all interested in like daily interaction about humor having fun um uplifting quotes sharing music so everything which like makes your soul happy that's mm. happiness reloaded and i will leave my uh, address for the free webinar it's free by the way mm -hmm. so it's every first tuesday per month and uh, people can just sign in they get the zoom link and then they meet there with people from all over the world so i have many canadians in the webinars at the moment that's why i do it at a, a canada okay time <laughs> it's <at laughs> yeah. 11 a.m est it's doable for people uh, in canada as well website as well uh websites oh god i have so many um <laughs> bullyreisen.eu that is my travel uh page but it's in german language only okay so i i will leave the the writing uh, websites put them in the description of the podcast and then yeah. they they can uh, hop there and and That's great. even book book a free call with me if you want to talk about your book just you know some people just want to talk about it and they they don't know yet wh where will it lead me and then we talk for 20 minutes and find out <laughs> that's great awesome yeah I'll put the links in the show notes so people can 
access yeah, all cool. that and I'll grab them from you after the show. We're going to finish the episode with some quick fire travel questions slash must have features. So I normally finish a podcast by firing off some questions and normally like your favorite travel staff. The travel questions are random and they're not listed on the notes. So you might get some <laughs> random questions, but I do have some <laughs> listed there as well that you have prepared. So my first question is going to be, Hey, yeah, just a quick one. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with T Public, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as t-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast, and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcasts, and other stuff. Thank you. It's travel question time. How many countries have you traveled to? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I have to start counting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recount them all, but I think it's about 25 countries. So okay. there are many, many, many countries left. I've not visited South America yet, for oh, wow. example. No, yeah, yeah. Okay. just Mexico, but that was that classical day trip from, from, from Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, crikey. So 25 countries, that's a decent amount. And of those 25 countries... Can you tell me three of your favorites? Yeah, that's Greece, uh, Italy, and Thailand. Nice. Okay. And three countries that you've not traveled to that you'd love to travel to next? Australia. Yeah. Love to go there. And I don't count that as one country, but I love to do the Panamericana uh, from Ushuaia the yeah. whole way up to Fairbanks, Alaska. So mm -hmm. I like to travel south america on that way okay and what about one country that you would love to live in for a year in greece greece okay yeah would you have a specific area in greece um yeah there is um the peloponnese there yeah. are five fingers on the south south coast yeah and there are i mean in each and on each and every finger there are many tiny villages mm. it can be any of them but down okay. there it has to be that's a great little region down there that i went to yeah. i loved i loved nafplio that was that was oh. awesome okay what about two books you would take with you one could be a favorite book and one could be a current book uh my favorite book is the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy okay and um i have um many of them at the moment i'm rereading it the what i don't know 20th time and i have that um, golden uh it's it's in the golden cover yeah <laughs> so of course don't panic yeah that's what i really love the current book which i like i mean i'm reading that at the moment the draft i'm reading at the moment it's the story of mark o um, i really like it okay I, um, as soon as it's printed, I will recommend it. <laughs> Lovely. Okay. And in your backpack, 
what is one piece of clothing that you you would just have to pack for any country any trip yeah always a pair of jeans Jeans. and i always just bring one pair of jeans just one um yeah Yeah. because that's enough (laughs) i agree i'm taking i'm taking one pair of jeans for my trip (laughs) Uh, don't don't need any more okay What about one generic must-have item? So it can't be a phone or laptop. In my case, it's um, the toolbox for the car. Ah, oh, yeah, of course. And and a towel, if you've read The Hitchhiker. Okay. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> you haven't? No. But you're British. You have to. <laughs> I, do you want to hear a shocking fact about me? Is that I don't read fiction. Oh my god. Only non-fiction. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's a there's a fact for you that my sister was not very happy with at at Christmas. Okay. (laughs) One city in the world that you'd love to drink a coffee and watch the world go by. Oh, I have to make a decision now. Then it would be Bangkok, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great shout. Okay. And do you have a country's favorite coffee, like you know how it tastes? If it's go to one country just to drink the coffee of how it tastes, where would you go? Uh, to Italy. Yeah, Italy. It's a very popular answer. Yeah. So where I'm living here in Tyrolia, I'm really on the edge of Austria. So if I get into my car, it's 10 minutes ride and I'm in Italy and I go for a coffee there. <laughs> that itself is unreal. <laughs> <laughs> because is... it's... I don't know why, but the coffee there is better. You cross the border and it's better. I don't know why. They're like Canadians and Americans listening right now going, that is amazing that you can just go 10 minutes over the border to Italy and go and get a coffee. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. If this is here. Um, I mean, Tyrolia is, is on, on the border. And um, I'm here in a little valley, which is at the end of the world, as we call it. And wow and on the other side of the end is Italy (laughs) (laughs) okay what about three favorite international cuisines foods that you love to eat yeah the Mediterranean Italian kitchen I love Thai kitchen and the Indian cuisine yeah you're fairly similar to me there okay what about one road that you traveled on in your camper van that was just breathtaking? Um, there is a national park called Bardenas Reales, and it's on the Spanish-France border. There's one road for cars through the national park, and if you drive there, it's a um, dome road, so not... Oh, okay, not uh, paved. No. Not paved, but you don't need a four-wheel drive. You can do it with a normal car, and... You get into that national park and all of a sudden it looks as if you would be in Arizona. It's like, those, oh, wow. it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, it's desert and redstone and, and those mountains, everything's dry. Oh. And you just ride on the gravy road and it goes <laughs> like bump, 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 bump. And that was amazing. <laughs> Okay. Um, next question would be, what about a favorite landmark that you've seen? Can be nature or man-made? <laughs> what fascinated me most 
when I was there was in John O'Groats when it says yeah. northernmost point of Scotland, which yeah. is not true. It's not John O'Groats. <laughs> <laughs> I really love that. Okay. That's another another part of British Island where I have to go when I'm there. I've oh, been wow. there several times. There. Oh, okay. It's wow. so windy. Never there. been. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once I, I just couldn't close the, the the door of the car. Yeah. I couldn't because the wind was so strong. <laughs> Bloody hell. Crikey. A favorite beach that you've been to? Wow, yeah. That is at the Atlantic Ocean in uh, France, Lodeda, in Bretagne, okay. they have this phenomena that if the tide is low, you can walk for miles to some tiny islands, and it's all white sand beach, oh, wow. newborn within yeah. the last two hours, and then the tide comes back and everything's gone, and those <laughs> islands are. They seem to be so far away and you have to swim there. But 12 hours later, the whole beach is newborn again. Oh, okay. That's amazing. That's, that's unreal. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. What about a country that you travel to that has been the best value for money? I think that it was Albania. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I had a few people say that yeah. before. Yeah. Yeah. I think right now it definitely is right before people start realizing and traveling there a lot. I think right now it's it's a good time to go. It is because in Albania it is now as it was in Greece fifty years ago. Mm. You have that charming situations with like pigs crossing the road and and you know all the farm animals are still free. No one is on this industrial mode already they're mm. selling watermelons next to the road and it's charming one should visit it now good tip so i'm going to finish the episode with one final question which is can you give someone some words of advice or wisdom as to why they should go travel even solo traveling by themselves why should someone make the leap and go away it fulfills your heart it opens your heart and that's why one should do that <laughs> wow <laughs> to the point love that okay so Romana thanks for coming on to the podcast it's been a great chat I've learned a lot actually on some random subjects and it's been great I've laughed a lot which is key and also I've learned about how you travel and some of your travel history which has been really inspiring so thanks for coming on thanks for having me thank you thank you for listening to my Winging It Travel podcast episode today you can find me on Instagram at James Hammond Travel or Winging It Travel Podcast. You can search for both. I release weekly clips of this podcast episode as well as photos from the last eight to ten years of my travels. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel Podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. 
stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.